almost everyone has a connection to food, whether it be reminding you of a special event, that birthday cake on your birthday, or even home-cooked meals reminding you of your culture or even your native country. Today, we connect with Femi, the founder of Dodo, a frozen plantain product that allows really anyone within Toronto and North America eventually to connect and really enjoy the plantains. Plantains were a food that were newer to me over the past few years, and the ways you can use them has really been inspiring. Using a similar to a potato, putting it in stews, frying them up to have a salty sweet snack is very interesting food that I love. But what we talk about today is starting a business within the food product industry can be challenging, difficult, but also a great way to bring something you love to the masses. We go over how Femi has been working on this idea for a few years, how COVID played a role, and most importantly, how to start a business from the ground up by really just having a drive and an interest, going to talk to store owners, to converting from direct to consumer, to B2B, and back again. Hopefully you guys enjoy the story, learn a bit more about really starting a business and what a plantain is. It's not just a large, mushy banana. And most importantly, how important it is to have a passion when it comes to trying to be a successful entrepreneur. Hopefully you guys enjoy and check out the website and buy some plantains to have a tasty quick snack. I guess to start off, like, how did you, what is that word? That's, I mean, interesting name. How is yeah. that a Nigerian word? Like what is the background behind that to create the business? Yes. Yeah, so um, that's actually, so that word Dodo means plantains in Yoruba and Yoruba is my tribe that mm -hmm. I come from in Nigeria. And so I think, for me, it was like, what could I name, you know, the business or the company that I think would have a catchy name, a catchy ring to it, also easy to pronounce, and would also have meaning, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, Dodo, like, it's so simple. Yeah. And, you know, thing, and the thing too is, so there's like three main tribes in Nigeria. There's Yoruba, Hausa, and Igbo, mm -hmm. but there's many other tribes too. But the thing is, I think people from all those different tribes know what you're talking about when you say mm -hmm. Dodo. Like, you know, planting equals doodoo. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's like, okay, well, this is already a very popular term for plantains in Nigeria, at least. So I'm like, okay, I can launch with this. I can go to market with this. And I think people would get it. Like people who are from Nigeria and even from Ghana as well mm -hmm. would get what I'm referring to when I say doodoo. So I thought, you know, that's probably, you know, a good name. It's catchy. Um, it has the meaning behind it as well, mm -hmm. too. And I think the last thing too for me was I was trying, here's my vision though. I wanted to create a company whereby... You know, when people think of plantains, mm -hmm. they think of us. Yeah. So plantains become synonymous to my company, Dodo, because mm -hmm. I want to actually produce other products too mm -hmm. that revolve around plantains, not just the frozen version, but mm -hmm. I have other things in, in my head that I'm trying to like just work through and everything mm -hmm. that I, I think would be really epic that people would actually enjoy. But then again, I think it's just coming back to, you know, being synonymous to plantains. So when people mm -hmm. think of plantains, they think of us as a company and how we provide good products that actually substitute for plantains or even just have some sort of variation of plantains mm -hmm. in the product itself. That's really interesting. I think it also adds to the fact, like you're saying, if, if you come, if you're familiar with that word, it's like almost like an inside secret. You're like, oh, this is like a fancy way of saying the exact, you know, the English version of the name. And I think a lot of, exactly. it's, I think yeah. it's, it's so cool because I feel like a lot of businesses, especially if you're trying to take another product, you're like, oh, make this sound Italian. If we're making pasta, make, make it sound like something else. You're like taking the origin word so if you know you know but if you don't know it's like exactly a yeah. it's like oh wow that's a cool way of you know cool way of expressing or a different way of saying a word so you kind of feel more more inclusive included um and True. especially like you said it's a catchy word it's not too hard to say but it's also pretty nice for a logo and a brand it's pretty quick um yeah. version of it so you know you like we talked a little bit before we start recording but you know you started this in 2013 so quite a bit ago 
when you were younger, were you like, hey, I want, like, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to create a company. Or how did it start initially? What was the idea behind it? Like, why did you say, you know what? I'm graduating school. I could get a guaranteed paycheck, but let me explore this unique world of entrepreneurship. How did it start? How did the spark start initially? Um, I think I said when I was really, really, really young, and I think it's because my parents also have been entrepreneurs for, I'd say, a huge part of their lives. Like my mom is a serial entrepreneur. She's had so many businesses, um, some that have, you know, worked out really, really well, some that have not worked out really, really well. But I think for me, it's just seeing her do what she does, like in an unconscious way, but then just sort of picking up things from what she does. And for me, I think that kind of fed into me wanting to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And I remember like even way, way back when I was, when I first moved to Canada. So I used to bring um, Indomie noodles mm-hmm. um, with me from Nigeria to, um, to Canada here. And so I'd keep them in my suitcase and everything because I didn't really like the food here initially, right? Because it just wasn't, you know, something I was used to eating yeah. here and everything. So I'd always just had like my noodles on the side and I'll stay in a hostel with a couple of other guys. And so like usually maybe like see around like, 10 p.m. or so at night when you know people are just getting hungry they come and like hey Femi can I get some noodles for me and I'll just start saying yeah sure I can give you noodles but then you have to give me like a dollar or two dollars just for a pack of noodles Mm -hmm. and so from there I just started like selling you know I bring stuff and then actually sell to people so I think that whole I guess trading and just even like you know exchanging stuff for money something I sort of got used to like I'd say from way way back in the day and I think it just kind of stuck with me and then again just see my parents do what they do on a daily basis just you know grinding working on their own doing their own running their own business I think just kind of like got into me and as, as well and I saw you know what this is something I think I'd want to pursue eventually at some point in time and it just kind of worked out that way because I think to your point yeah before before all of this I was working full-time after I finished my undergrad and you know I kind of knew I wanted to do something on my own but I just wasn't sure what that thing was going to be and I didn't want it to just be, you know, any random thing that, you know, stuff that I didn't really care about. Yeah. But like for this, for this, when I had the idea, I was like, this is something I think actually has merit and could actually go far if I just work it right and execute on everything I need to do properly. Right. And so for me, I was like, this is the thing I'm going to do and spend so much time and energy to make sure I can get it off the ground. And when it all started, so you're like, OK, I want to sell plantains. This is kind of the future I want to go with. Were you like, I guess from starting off that point, like what was the biggest shock when things were rolling? Did you have any idea on how to like to distribute a good or like how you're going to get to? So one thing, especially if this was, if you're in Canada this time, like they're not readily available comparatively to like anywhere in the States or anywhere else. Like how did you yeah. fix that first problem? Like how are you going to get them? Like, did you have an idea of like how to ship them in and like package them? Or was this more of like, were you starting more on developing the brand and trying to create the education or how did it all like what was the first like not roadblock or first like starting point where it started getting the idea more into like a reality when you're trying to kind of move the ball forward um i think honestly it was just through like using google to do research to be honest like for me like as far as like where to get plantains there's this um, store owned by Loblaws called Wholesale Club. Mm-hmm. And as the name suggests, they sell you know, like all products to like, you know, small business and even to the public as well too. And so I know Loblaws sells plantains typically. So I was like, okay, let me just track, try and check and see if they actually have in store and if they sell them by the cases. And they did actually have them in cases too. And the price was a lot better than what you would typically get at a regular um grocery store so like this is probably a good place to just source them from initially as i launch and then from there when i then scale i can then probably go directly to the source like Mm to guatemala where they actually source them from but for now it's just really through the wholesale club that's where i get them from 
Oh, that's interesting. I think that makes a lot of sense. I would have never even assumed that like you could source them locally, but I guess it makes sense because a lot of people use plantain, plantains are in different recipes, especially. But that's that's really obviously one thing with the word and with the fruit itself is the difference between a banana. I think that's like me growing up. Obviously, you see them all the time. You're like, oh, this is a mushy banana, and that's not the case. They're supposed to be different. Yeah. We're like obviously we talked a little bit before we started recording like you said education was a big part when you kind of talk to people who are maybe newer to the food or like how to use food what are some of the misconceptions is it that they are expecting a taste like banana is that they're not cooking them properly like what are some of the sticking points initially because i feel even though it's not i'd say ex an exotic food it's not like a dragon fruit or a unique fruit it's not that common in ev most people i'd say daily or weekly diet true yeah i think the biggest thing was people thought you could eat it raw and i was like no no and I mean, I can get why, because um, bananas, are, you eat them raw, like when they're ripe and they're soft, like you just peel it off and then it comes off and you, you take a bite, right? So it makes perfect sense. But I was like, no, 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 you don't eat plant. You have to cook them. And I go like, well, how then do you cook them? Because they, they can't really think or fathom how you cook a banana because that's the direct comparison, right? And I'm like, you just literally take, peel them off and you can't peel them with a the hand. You have to use a knife yeah. to cut through the skin because the skin is tough. So you take a knife, cut through the skin, you can slice or dice them however you want to cut them, and then just put them in a, um, either in an oven, you can fry them in a saucepan with some oil, or you could even bake them too. So there's different ways you could actually cook them. Some people actually bake them whole, like the entire whole plantain. Um, we do that even back in Nigeria as well too. It's called bali. <laughs> so it's another, just a different name also of how it's prepared roasted in that format. So it's, it's again, roasted plantains, but in a whole form. And what would you say? I think, yeah. No, Sorry, ahead, people, the, the big misconception is that people think you could eat them raw. Um, and I think the other thing too that I'll say that's close to that is that people just think it's like a relatively weird or a huge banana. <laughs> It is that's true. what I keep getting most most of the time. I, I do think it is true. It just it's like the aesthetic. You look at it. What would you say it's the most comparable to to a food people would know the most? And you can't don't say like everyone always says like every meat's compared to chicken. Like what would you compare a vegetable to? Like what is this? I would say potatoes. To? Yeah, I was gonna yeah, say potatoes. the same thing. I was gonna say when I first learned about them, start cooking with them. The when I guess word of advice was like treat them similar to a starchy carb or like a potato because you can like you said. Planting chips are great. Make them all the time. You can throw them into anything. Yeah. Potato would do works very well. So exactly. And that's, it is funny. Like you said, the education, I think for a lot of, especially with new foods or anything, especially obviously both of us spending time in Vancouver, the biggest shock for me in Vancouver was like everything being vegan as well. So I was like, that was like a brand new, comparing to Toronto, Toronto is like so futuristic we think, but like in Vancouver has so much gosh darn new food that I had to learn how to eat and kind of how to <laughs> educate myself along the way. So, Agreed. When you were starting to say, and we were both going through the MBA, obviously now you chose to do an MBA, get more education, kind of typically the MBA is a lot more career focused than I'd say entrepreneurship focused. Not from, I mean, True. I'm hoping to go back to entrepreneurship as well. But when you're entering the MBA, was there any idea that, hey, I want to, this idea I've been kind of working on on and off for a while, I'm going to try to take it more seriously. Or did this not really occur to you till till the internship at the end or till the project at the, during the summer or was this initially a thought in your head to kind of get the education to help launch this business honestly no like i can even tell you so like I, I think i changed my career aspirations i think three times during the mba the first time so coming into the mba i wanted to be a management consultant but that was for me that was the goal yeah like, everyone yeah, it's yeah. too far yeah. off right 
that was the goal initially. And so I think um, probably by, I think the first, what, the first semester or so, so like by December of 2018, I was like, mm, nah, I think I want to do human capital consulting instead. So focused just on that human, mm-hmm. um, human resource part specifically. And then, so that was like December getting into January of 20, of 20, 2019. And then I started hearing more about like the internship and, um, and also the other opportunities during the summer. I was like, hang on a second, you know, I know I was just talking about, you know, wanting to switch to human capital consulting, but then also this opportunity we have to just, you know, do something, a project, you know, for four months. And I'm like, I've always had this idea. I'm like, this is probably the best time. And I think for me, it was easy to make that decision because I knew like we had had this idea for so long. We just hadn't really had the time, maybe the dedication too, because of work and everything else that was going on with our lives to really focus and hone in on actually trying to build out that idea into something more than just the idea, right? So I was like, this is that one time shot that I have like in my whole life. It's between mm-hmm. like from the last four, five years or so till now, this is this one shot that I have four months uninterrupted to just go hard and see if this actually makes mm-hmm. business sense. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to do that instead. I'm going to just take that shot and then give it a try. The worst that would happen is that I learn and that it doesn't work out. And then, you know, I can move on to something else. I can probably go back to human capital consulting or figure out another career um, eventually. So for me, that's how it kind of, I guess, shifted over time within those few months or so going into the MBA. And so you say, okay, I'm going to take these four months, start working on the the product, the project, the company. What was like the first roadblock or sticking point you hit? Because obviously you, you work on this idea, but now it's getting a little more serious. You're in a atmosphere where you say you can you know, work with some professors within the food science. Like what was the day one work you had to figure out, you think, to get to really the ball rolling? Um, I think for me, it was just the financial projections. Like, could this actually make business sense? Because the thing too, um, I want to think of, I want to think about is, Whenever you start in a business, I think nobody wants to start to fail or to not make money also, yeah. right? You want to produce a good or provide a service that actually ha- helps people, mm-hmm. adds value to society, but also that you could actually make money off of that service or product too. So for me, it was like, okay, does this actually make financial business yeah. sense to do? Because of course, there's going to be things like costs involved, like renting space to actually cut the plantains, freeze them and everything, rent the act machine etc so I'm like okay if i'm going to do all these things it has to make financial sense as well and so that was the first thing i was just pretty much looking at before i did anything else i think that's one thing people especially when you're young like super especially when i was in high school looking at starting businesses like you always forget like how much life costs especially we spoke like looking at homes like you forget how expensive life is like rent for a you know location logistics and shipping every time especially with food like being able to move and i always think no one wants to look it up because it's always painful to be like, I need how many thousand? I need 50, I need a hundred. It's like always like a sh- sticker shock, but it is, yeah. I think that was a smart way of starting out. Like, Hey, before I get invest all my time, is this financially even feasible? And exactly. you, you typically can run the numbers, even optimistically. If you're, if it's like the class, it's like classic for any like tech thing. It's like, okay, this makes sense if I get like 10 million users, but then you're like, that is very difficult to get 10 million users. Maybe this idea isn't the greatest thing. And I feel like yeah. for any product, you're like, okay, no, this is profitable at like 500,000 units sold a day. And you're like, well, that is ridiculous amount. So I think I think it makes sense always like to work your way backwards like you did to figure out kind of exactly. where is that break-even point. So over these four months, you start working with people with food science kind of 
so then it's coming to the end. So the end of the four months, you're going back into the last semester, or I guess the second last semester of school. What were like, where were you at that point, and what was like the future looking like for you after having you know pretty dedicated four months to work on this business? Yeah. So within those four months, um, I had done um market research, so I actually had um a lot of insights from I think a sample of about 350 people or so. Um, done surveys as well, even with you guys too in yeah. the class. Um, I'd also done like an actual marketing plan too, to actually take this to market. Um, funny thing is though, that that was what I tried to execute in 2020 and we may get to that eventually, but yeah. that kind of failed. So <laughs> we'll come back to that. But yeah, I had the marketing plan done. Um, I had done interviews with people to figure out what they thought about the idea. Um, I had also done my financial projections too, as well for the next three years, if I, if I were to launch in 2020. Um, and I had done some actual product development too. So <laughs> the funny thing I would say though is while I was doing my product development and doing all that, mm -hmm. the testing, experimentation and, and everything, um, I figured out how not to do it. Mm -hmm. That was kind of what came out of that, the testing and everything, because, you know, I'll be honest, I was working with a food science professor yeah. and I think what I was learning from there was, I guess, the scientific way to actually flash freeze a, a fruit or vegetable, but that doesn't always apply to all fruits and or vegetables, right? So even though that's theoretically correct, mm -hmm. it wasn't the process I would have to follow to actually get this to a premium product or to you know an actual frozen product that has good quality still maintained, mm -hmm. even after cutting and slicing and everything else. So I figured that didn't work <laughs> within those four months mm -hmm. too. And it was only until when I got back in town and did my first trial run mm -hmm. at the actual food facility that I rented out in Colburn mm -hmm. that I figured out the actual right way to, to actually produce the product. That's like how I, I always feel in my head. It's like you just freeze it like you freeze anything. You just throw it flashing. You're saying there's like a lot of science behind it. How like the, I'm assuming like the size, the texture, the temperature. How how did you trial and how did you figure that out when you were back back here in town? Was it just trial and error? Or did you from your time kind of have a better idea on how planting specific flash freezing would be done? Or like, was there any references or kind of how did you? Learn that. So yeah, there were no references to plantains, but we had something similar, which was bananas, right? Mm -hmm. And so in also working with the food um, facility in Colburn, they had like, I guess we would call them like a, a manager who also knew how to like freeze products like these too. And so they were like, you know what, if you want to actually do this right, this is what you have to do. And we could try it out to see if it actually works. And so I took their advice and then I tried it out during like my trial run yeah. and voila, <laughs> it came out as intended. That's super and so with their guidance, their guidance. And the thing is, I think the difference too is, so if you compare like, you know, what I learned with the food professor at UBC versus what I learned um, with these guys here at the food facility, I think the key difference is that, you know, the other has actual food um, packaging experience that they do every day, as opposed to just the theoretical part, mm -hmm. which isn't wrong, like theoretically, but still that hands-on experience isn't there, you know, Mm -hmm. from that food professor who I met at UBC. So I guess that's that's the key difference that really helped me shift that whole production. I think that makes sense. I think that's one thing we always even hear in business is that like you can work on an idea for years and years, but until you execute, you don't realize how like many assumptions were wrong. Like, and I Absolutely, think that's a yeah. Especially in the MBA, you're like, you do all these financial projections. We'll talk about like your marketing plan. You're like, theoretically, this is perfect. This is like, using like these four, these four C's. We're using this chart. It, you know, there's four <laughs> quadrants. We're perfect. And then you launch and then it's like, oh, wow. Everything just crumbles. Everything crumbles. You're like, this is not how it works. Never goes according to plan. <laughs> and it's always, I always find it comparable to like every time I, you know, I'm with my grand, 
grandfather. It's like, hey, you know, like, oh, this is how you like you know, something new in cooking, or like, this is how you're supposed to do, and it always fails. And it's like, yeah, like the 89 years of experience tends to work out when I'm trying to like to plant something because he's like, he loves his gardening, and I'm always like, no, I googled this new way, and then he's like, no, nah, it's not going to work. But I'm like, theoretically, it does. And then I'm like, well, okay, that's why it's been done the same way for like 300 years because you know better than there you me. go. But um, <laughs> yeah. So. You no, know, you're you're starting this, and like you say, you started a marketing plan, and then you say you try to launch it pre. I'm assuming it was pre-COVID at that time, or like the beginnings of COVID. What went wrong, or kind of what went right? What did you? I guess the entrepreneurship way of saying, what did you learn on your initial kind of launch and test? Yeah, so I guess my launch was in the fall of 2020, after things kind of opened up again in oh, yes. in Toronto. COVID's been wrong for um, so long. I forgot how far back it goes. Yeah, I, I know, right? Yeah, two two years and counting. Um. And yeah, so I launched it then. And again, by the way, this was bare package. And so I didn't really have much. It was just, you know, um, a clear plastic bag with my l label on there, st stuck it on. And then I was just, I literally had like these um, huge Coleman um, ice um, freezer chests and everything, right? Well, packed them in with dry ice. And then I was going there, taking them in my car to these different grocery stores. And um, funny thing is, I was hearing different things like feedback wise. I was hearing different things as I was going to these different grocery stores. So one thing I was always doing is whenever I go in there and I'm trying to speak with the owner, I would even just like handpick some customers actually shopping them like, Hey, I'm actually just doing this too. Here's a sample. What do you think? Mm -hmm. And some of us, so I think one person actually bought two up of me mm -hmm. one of those days while I was literally there trying to even sell to the owner of the shop. And she was like, she loves this idea. Like this is actually really, really clever because mm -hmm. it actually has, it makes sense because I think, to go back a little bit, like, let me even speak about the pinpoint that we're actually addressing here. So with plantains or even with bananas, when you buy a banana, you typically they're either like either yellow or green about to be yellow, etc. Um, and eventually you want them to be, I guess, that ripe, that right ripeness before you then eat them, right? Kind of similar to plantains as well. Usually when they're fresh, they're green, when they're plucked off the tree. And then eventually over time, they get ripe. But the thing, the thing here is that in Canada, at least, we don't have readily ripe plantains. They're always green at the grocery store. And so when you buy them green at the grocery store, you bring them home, you can't eat them that day because they're just not at that proper ripeness, right? So you leave them on your countertop or you put them somewhere usually um, with low light so they could actually get ripe faster. Mm -hmm. And they maybe wait like five, six days or so before it's actually ripe. And so then it's ripe. So you eat it new on day five or day six. And then the rest that you bought either get overripe or too soft. And then some cases people just throw them out. Mm -hmm. And that's just money wasted, food wasted, you know, doesn't really help anyone to be honest. So what we're really doing here is we're actually getting it to the point where people typically tend to like um, the ripeness of the plantains. So it's the medium ripe or the ripe version where it's like either medium ripe is like, you know, on the savior side, cause it's still a lot more starchy. Mm -hmm. When it's ripe, it's a lot more soft because the starch is turned into sugar. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot softer and sweeter. So at those two variations, people tend to eat them more often. So we just cut them up at those two variations and then flash freeze them. And so with the flash freezing technology, you're literally locking in its freshness or its texture at that point in time. And that way, when you take it out to fry or to cook, you still get that same ripeness on day one that, you know, you typically wouldn't get if you just bought them from a grocery store um, direct. And then the second thing, too, is wastage. So, like, food wastage is a huge thing that we're also trying to tackle. And with this, every single ounce or, you know, gram of plantains that we cut ends up in a bag. 
So the only thing that we're throwing away is really just the peel, but all the plantain gets cut and packaged up. So everything is still sort of, you know, being saved as a whole because nothing gets wasted. Mm-hmm. So there's that that we're solving for. And also even the, the, the next thing really is the convenience factor too, because with this, you just simply take it out of your freezer straight to your frying pan. Um, you add your spices, salt, pepper, and you're good to go. No need to actually peel and cut yeah. beforehand. So that's, you know, those are the things we're really hitting on with this product specifically. And obviously, I think convenience is important, but the ripeness, I think you don't realize how I buy so much fruit. It's so annoying because typically when you buy something and this might be like, it's a bad way of looking at it, but I'm like, I go to the grocery store, I'm like, I'm hungry today for something. What am I going to eat today or tomorrow? And then you buy <laughs> plantains. But then problem is, like you said, is you buy them, you have to wait six days. And then I always forget about it. I'm like, oh, my, and then you're overripe or you're like, I'm not, I don't really feel like them now. How too much? I ate something else. So then I think you're, right. it is a huge challenge. And I think for a lot of. And I think what you said, like your first experience of them, especially if this is a newer product, if you buy them right when they're green, you cook them, you're like, these aren't, these are so bitter. These are not great. Or it's the opposite side. You're like, <laughs> this is so overripe because we're the last one on the shelf. And you're like, this is just like mush. It's like way too sweet. They're falling apart. So I think exactly people introducing themselves to this food, it's a good way of trying it at the optimal ripeness cooking time. So you can really have that experience of like why so many people love plantains and kind of how you eat them. So exactly early 2000s, COVID's open, COVID's slowing down all this obviously surround and you're trying to launch it kind of, how does that launch go? So now it's been some time between the MBA and kind of this state, how are you expecting to launch kind of what's the plan going into it? And what were some of the challenges? So you're in the store selling plantains out of the back of your car. Are the, are the store owners okay with this? Like what's going on in this? How are you trying to convince them? Cause I feel this is always a challenge. Like you're trying to sell somebody who's trying to sell to you, their grocers exactly right yeah so um honestly i would just and i I always <laughs> funny thing so let me just give you this hack i would always wear my ubc sweatshirt yeah just so they would actually see me as a student so always come with like that nice guy you know attitude I'm like hey you know i just finished school right now i went to ubc and i came up with this new product that i think would add value to what your customers typically buy from you on a daily basis um this is what it is it's frozen plantain slices and I just tell them exactly what it is. And then I show them the product too, so they could actually see it themselves. And then, you know, they take a look and like, oh, that doesn't look too bad, you know? Okay. So what's your expectation? Then they ask me like, what do I want? I'm like, oh, I would love you to actually have this on your shelves. Mm-hmm. That way your customers could actually pick them up when, you know, they're shopping. And then they'll either tell me that, oh, sorry, I can't make the decision right now or that we're completely stuck. We have so many things in our yeah. freezer aisle that we can put this on always some sort of excuse or the other, right? Um, or, oh, they'll call me back, you know, whatever it is, they always have an excuse to at least have me go away and then they never follow up or anything like that. And usually even when I follow up with them, they either don't pick up or anything like that. There were only, I think about four stores that actually um, entertained me and actually took my product on. And the funny thing is in one of those stores, um, I, again, I was doing the exact same thing. I saw a few customers there and I was like, hey, do you actually want to see what I'm working on? And then I showed them the product and they were like, why? Like, why this? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, um, because this actually saves a lot of plantains. You get it when it's properly ripe. You get it at the right texture. You know, I was giving my, my spiel and they were like, they think it's not necessary. And they said it to my face. And <laughs> to be honest, that, that really hit me. Mm-hmm. But I was like, well, I mean, thanks for your feedback, but I think this has merit for sure. And I think there's value that um, we're providing in doing it in this format versus just, you know, having to wait four or five, six days to get your plant into its ripe texture. 
Um, but yeah, they weren't they weren't loving it. So that was, I guess, one that didn't go so well. And then the funny thing too is even the store owner at the time too. So she came out afterwards after I was done speaking to um, those customers there. And she was like, okay, so what do you have here today? And I was like, okay, this is what I'm selling. Um, I think it's a great product for your store because you already carry plantains today, right? Yeah. Um, and she looked at it and she was like, mm, it's actually not so bad. It looks like it's a, it's a good idea. Um, and then she was like, well, you know, I could easily do this too and sell it myself. Mm-hmm. And I was like, um, okay. I, I like, I mean, I didn't say, well, I thought, okay, well, I'd like to see you try. Because yeah. <laughs> I think what she was doing, she was downplaying, I guess, like the, um, effort and even the research I had done to actually put that product together and even make it at that same quality yeah, that I have it yeah. today. And I don't think she could appreciate, you know, I guess all that work that went behind it. So she didn't really see it the way I would see mm-hmm. it too, right? And she she still took it on. She still took, um, I think, about four packs from me that day, but she wasn't enthusiastic about it, to be honest. Um, and also she didn't even sell. So mm-hmm. it still didn't work out um, at that store. Well, yeah, so that was the plan initially. I, I got into about four different stores, but they really didn't sell anything. And so I had to just sort of put a pause on that and then re-strategize how I was going to go to market eventually with, you know, going direct to consumer, which just came out a couple of weeks ago. And how obviously going business versus direct consumer, there were some differences with that. Kind of what, obviously, because you had some experiences, but like what was some of the differences you found with going direct to consumer versus trying to go store to store? What were some of your thought process changes and kind of what made you switch into focusing more as a direct to consumer product rather than a typical, you know, try to sell one store and possibly get a few sales through there? Besides all the headaches you have to deal with managing with someone else, kind of what was the change that made it a little bit more successful, especially with this launch, a little more focused? So I think one of the things too, I mean, it was, again, going back to the learnings from like that first soft launch basically um it was really hard to like really get into stores right it's really hard to like you know have people believe in what you've created and really see the value there and i was like you know what rather than focusing my energy just to get one store why don't i just you know take the control and actually put in all the effort to get my products to the consumer directly so again that shift of just you know having the experience of dealing with people who weren't really appreciative of what i was putting out there um, made me really shift my my thought process. Um, and also, again, being in control of the narrative because one thing I didn't want to rely on was those store managers, you know, trying to sell my product the wrong way yeah. or not even really putting in the effort to actually sell it to their customers when they come because, you know, they could literally just have it in their sh- in their store without really trying to push the product. And again, I wouldn't be there like every day saying, oh, have you sold you know, plantains today? Or, yeah, I can't really do that, right? So, I was like, you know, after that being control of actually pushing the product out to, to mm-hmm. people, educating them on how it actually works and what it is also and how it's even better than what they're getting today at the grocery store in the fresh produce aisle. Um, and so I think all of that just, you know, made me really think that I think I'm better off going to customers directly than having like, you know, a middle man or a middle person or a middle store yeah. in between me and the final user. I think... I've talked to a lot of food, uh, food and food people in a variety of different ways. And that's the biggest issue with going through distribution centers, let alone stores, right? But through disties and other th- formats is that you lose control over the education of your product, the branding. I've spoken to a few brands where they're like, Hey, their product has to be in the refrigerate section. And some of the stores put them just on the shelf. Oh. So, then, so then when the customer buys it, they're like, Hey, these are a little bit mushy. Like this doesn't taste yeah. good. And you can't, it's one of those things where you have, you lose all the control. So I think, Going direct to consumer, it makes a lot of sense, especially for, like you said, a lot of consumers might not know 
buy any plantains before they might not see the value, but by going to mass market and allowing everyone who's interested in it to purchase it, first you right. drive up to brand, you get some education, but also once you have sales, it's easier to go to a store and say, hey, you know, we're selling X amount of units a week, X amount of units a yeah. day. We think your target audience would love this kind of, it gives you a little bit more of a bargaining chip as well. So it's not like, please hold my products. It's like, hey, I'm selecting you to be exactly able right. to yeah. hold the product. Exactly. The shift, the shift comes after, like after you've actually had those sales mm-hmm. uh, and then you can then not start negotiating prices and, you know, calling the shots yeah. with the stores directly. And now that you've launched, but like how, how have you figured like the other aspects? So obviously the idea is important. You're launched, but now like manufacturing and like shipping, like how did that, how did you learn all about that? Cause I feel that's like a whole different beast logistics, let alone the food science behind it. Yeah. Um, honestly, like it's literally just one step at a time because and I think also what's, what has helped is I, like, I kind of had like that called the break in between in 2021, mm-hmm. where I was really just focusing on how I was going to go direct to consumer then on, the, on the next launch. Right. And so for me, it was like, okay, if I'm going to do all this work and go direct to consumer, that means I'm going to be pretty much the one leading everything as a small business, just even about to launch. Right. So when it came to manufacturing, so I already knew how that process was because I'd done it before in the past in 2020. So I knew exactly, okay, if I could buy, you know, this maybe say 10 cases of plantains, I could produce that in this amount of time with this amount of equipment, et cetera. So I already did all that work beforehand. So it was relatively, relatively easy to still at least execute on that, you know, before this most recent launch. Um, so that's that. The logistics part was pretty difficult because, um, this time around, I did about, I think, 12 cases in total of, of, um, of volume, right? And I was like, should I actually rent a van or how should I actually get this product over to the facility? Because this, like, I'm in Oakville on the west west side. Um, it's about an hour, 45, close to two hours away from me. And I was like, should I rent a van? Like, what's the cost going to be if I rent a van? You know, because I'm thinking, of, okay, I want to do this you know, the most efficient way, but also save costs too. Mm-hmm. So I have like a regular sedan, a Chevy Cruze. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm sure all those 12 cases could somehow fit in there. And so I just stuffed everything in there. Um, there I think we were, there were about two boxes where I just had to like literally take the boxes out and just throw the actual plantains <laughs> in the car just to make sure I have enough space to put everything together. And we just used my, we used my car, drove all the way down to um, Colburn, the facility in Colburn, to go to the production there. But then when, um, so I do the production there and then I actually bring all the frozen products after it's packaged. Mm-hmm. And I have two huge chest freezers mm-hmm. in my garage here. So I actually store them here so I could actually fulfill the products for delivery out of my garage. Mm-hmm. And so when I was going to go and pick up the finished product at the facility, I had to rent a refrigerated truck. Um, and that wasn't cheap also, by the way, but there was no other option. Like I yeah. couldn't use my car because again, it's already frozen at this point in yeah. time. And if I use anything less than, you know, uh, uh, a vehicle that has, you know, a frozen space that's less than even minus 15 degrees, it would just reduce the quality of the product. It would just yeah. get soft and eventually it would just spoil. So I was like, I cannot um, definitely, yeah. um, you know, lowball on that one. I would just have to like bear the cost um, of actually getting the product back home mm-hmm. so I could actually store them in my freezer here. Um, and so that was what I did. I just packed everything up um, and then brought them home in the refrigerated truck and then I floated them into my chest freezer here. And so right now it makes it really easy for him to just, you know, wake up in the morning on the weekends right now mm-hmm. and just go start fulfilling the products and the orders that I get mm-hmm. during the week. That's 
so funny because like I, I've talked to a few people, and especially in the early on in their career when d- developing products, and I hear like people like not running out of space in their fr- fridge and being located in Toronto, being like their balcony on their apartment, just having boxes of product because it was freezing outside, so they'd use their backyard as a freezer. Or, like, oh yeah, like, anything, like, anything, anything to anything just keep product in. Yeah. I was, I was surprised we weren't like, and then it was minus 30 that day. So I drove home with the windows open and I lost the plan <laughs> team, like something wild like that. But no, I think, I think what you said makes sense. I think one of the challenges with any entrepreneur in any business is the fact that you want to cut lower costs, but you don't want to cut corners. And I think like you said, that's exactly. the issue. you're like, you might be able to make it back, but then half of it might have dethought. And then as you know, like if you dethought something and refreeze it, like the it's quality not is the same quality. Exactly exactly so we, so that's something i cannot i cannot um play with or even i would say cut corners on like the quality is i think for me the most important thing right now and i think that's what would even help this business grow eventually because i think once you have a good quality product with the right marketing the right yeah. people i think you can take it to you know enormous heights so for me that's the big thing just keeping that quality you know intact at all processes of like the logistics and everything mm-hmm. until it gets to the consumer and you know now that we're kind of wrapping up here but one question I always love to ask is, was there anything that was easier than you thought? I mean, entrepreneurship always has difficult things that were surprising, but was there something you thought being newer to entrepreneurship was like, hey, this can be impossible, very difficult that didn't turn out to be not easy per se, but not as complex or as mysterious as you thought once you got into it? I would say the delivery. So um, again, because they have to be frozen, right? So what I actually do is um, I do my deliveries only on the weekends right now. And I don't rent a truck to go deliver like a couple of boxes or over the weekend. No, I actually use my car. Well, the hack here is I actually package them in the, bo- in the boxes with um, dry ice. And so like most people probably know this, dry ice keeps things frozen for at least 24 hours minimum. So usually I would just put maybe like a, a handful or so, maybe like two buckets of dry ice in the boxes with the frozen plantains already packaged up and everything. Put a nice little thank you card in there zip it up and all that and then put it in my car do that for all the orders i have and then just take them out um throughout the day throughout the afternoon on saturdays and then get the product over to the consumers directly where do you get dry ice from so there's this store and there's a store in etobicoke actually i actually live my place in oakville drive to etobicoke in the morning get like you know i think a five kilo bag of dry ice and then drive back home and then start the whole fulfillment process from there so it's a grind but i think it's something that i have to do right now Mm -hmm. to make sure that the product is still um intact with the quality yeah that makes a lot of sense that's that's super funny it's i mean it's such an entrepreneurship story to kind of figure it out but like you said you not hack it but like you said like bootstrap it figure out the most effective way and efficient way to get through it now i mean super interesting story super super unique that you're bringing kind of this product more to the mainstream how has the lot like launch how has the launch gone has it been how how has how you've been feeling with it? Because now it's kind of you're up and running again. Things are going like how has the first few weeks been with the product being launched and kind of fulfilling orders? Has it been as yeah. hectic as it seems? Well, I would say it is exciting. So I'm actually loving it, you know, because I think for me it's really the process of like actually because I feel like I dreamed of like doing this for so long. So now that I'm actually like in the weeds, actually doing things, you know, like packaging products, putting things together, being at the facility, actually like cooking up stuff and everything. Like it feels so surreal. Um, And when I had my first um, couple of deliveries, I think this was like, I guess the first weekend that I launched, you know, like even just that day, waking up in the morning to just actually like get out, shower, and then actually start packing boxes and everything, Mm -hmm. which was, it was just like a really good 
nice feeling like oh like i'm finally here you know i'm finally actually like making stuff happen yeah. you know and so for me that was a really good feeling and a positive feeling to have because i've been sort of like wanting to have that for a while just with this product and now that you know we're already like two weeks in i would say the reception from people you know like my friends people i have on like my personal instagram page they've all been positive like they've all been very very supportive they've been encouraging so that's kind of really good to see as well because you want people to also like believe in what you're doing yeah um I'm also asking them to place their orders too, just so they can also really support me as well. Um, but yeah, like I've had a couple of orders even this week that I'm going to be delivering tomorrow, um, being Saturday. Um, and yeah, it, it's it's good all around. I'm really happy with the way it's going so far. Um, and one thing I would say though, that I think for me, I know you asked what's like, I guess the easy or what's relatively easy for me. What is relatively challenging for me now is actually building content on social. Mm-hmm. Like, so I have my own personal page, but I was never really one to post a lot of stuff on Instagram or even Facebook or Twitter or anything. So now having to do that for my business, it's like a whole different thing because now I'm creating reels, you know, putting up stories and everything just so I could have that content and engagement with my um, consumers um, out there. And I think it's it's really important to have that you know, for any business right now in today, mm-hmm. in today's age. But for me, it's just, it's, it's relatively tough. Yes. But I think, yes. you know, slowly and surely i'm getting there and i'm just you know trying my hands experimenting again just doing whatever i can to make sure i can actually engage with my customers directly on social media that's so funny you say that because especially with this podcast and other things i've been doing working with other businesses is like i always thought like being a tiktok or youtube star was super easy like there's no skill there until you try to do it yourself and you're like this is so like thinking of content shooting the content knowing like what branding to use it's like one of those things i guess it's because like even my parents were like, why are you on the computer? Like Twitter, it's useless. Like, don't worry about it. And now everyone's like, why aren't you a Twitter? Like, why aren't you famous? Exactly. Why aren't you viral? And you're like, because as a child, I was told this was a waste of time. And now it's like the <laughs> right? most effective way to like get money is if you have a, if you have a million followers, you guarantee can make money doing it. So I know it's funny how you oh, see yeah. like, to a young person, you're like, that's the easiest part. And you're like, no, even though no. we're not old by any means, it's just like that, like gap of like, I've never done a lot of tiktoks or instagram or like learn yeah. to create content to develop a business to develop a following so it is a sort like you said surprisingly challenging for how easy yeah. it looks to do just just post but exactly right yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah no if people want to like how do people get in touch how do people buy like what is your uh, what are your socials and uh the website to purchase yeah so we're on facebook and instagram but mostly on instagram and it's dodo foods ca so that's d-o-d-o foods f-o-d-s c-a c-a for canada um so that's um um, facebook and instagram our website is www.dodofoods.ca so again Mm -hmm. same spelling d-o-d-o foods.ca um you can definitely um check that out and you know place your orders only right now we're serving the gta so if you live anywhere within the GTA, even in Hamilton too, that's also considered part of the GTA, at least for us. Um, so if you're out there as well, people can definitely order from there or even just check us out and see what we're doing on our website. Um, or even just give us a shout to on Instagram too. We'd definitely happy to chat with uh, any one of our customers or anyone who just wants to learn more about what we're doing. 